Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. I want to continue with something that I began speaking about last week. So this is actually uh, what I might call a part two here. If you were here last week or had a chance to listen to the podcast, you'll see that the topic is similar, but we want to take it a little farther from what we talked about. And I want to mention how if you've never been in a Messianic congregation before or you're not overly familiar, you probably noticed right away, and it happens uh, here often as people visit us, that there are some different elements to a service here. (laughs) You know, elements like the blowing of the shofar. Now, that's become more common, but I know my wife Miriam and I have been in this for many decades, and it's become more common now, but it used to be very uncommon outside of Messianic circles to hear the blowing of the shofar. It was very uncommon. Uh, The dance, as was mentioned, uh, liturgy, these type of things, Uh, the worship songs, the, 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 the announcements even point a different direction. And we have children's classes going on each Shabbat. And also, uh, we try to bring a message from the Word of God. That's basically what our service is. At other times, we have other elements involved in the service. For example, uh, there might be a request to recite Kaddish for a yard site, a remembrance of a loved one that has passed on. Or uh, if you were here recently, we had a Torah walk and a Torah reading. And sometimes we have the Lord's Supper here. And we remember the Lord's the Lord's Supper, and, and commemorate Him and, and remember all that he did for us. But if you listen carefully to the liturgy, and this is one of my focal points here today, there's something that's said each week. In fact, it was said this week. And as we face towards the east and we say the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, many of you know it by heart. You know the melody. There's several melodies for it, but you know the melody we sing here. And then we sing the Ve'ahavta, which is found in Devarim chapter 6, verse 5 and forward. Oftentimes, when we recite these things, you shall love the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With kolevavcha, with all your heart. Oftentimes, there's a second thing that's said. It was said today. And that's the expression that's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And this is my main topic today. Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. And it says, and the part that's repeated here during the liturgy for, by the chazan or the cantor is, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And let me ask you, how many of you are familiar with that saying? If you'll raise your hand, shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are grossly familiar with that. Now, it's no secret here that the word that's used for love, ve'ahavta, 
is the same word that's used for love when it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So that same word, Hebrew word, in English that says you shall love the Lord God is also the same Hebrew word in English words that use concerning loving our neighbor. So that should tell us something right there. It's the same exact word. So there's not a, like a subclass of love that we're talking about when it comes to loving your neighbor. It's actually on the same level, the same Hebrew word, the same English word as loving God. How many of you, you think that, that that tells us something? That it's important for us. That we should love the Lord with all our heart. But also there's a connection, connection to loving our neighbor. And we feel, and we get, a, we get a feel for the uh, context of Leviticus 19.18 when we look at some of the verses that are around it. Let me read them to you from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. And I want to read just several verses that come before verse 18 that says, Ve'hafta you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what it says before that, beginning with verse 13 of Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not cheat Reacha, your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. And then it says, Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of Reacha, of your neighbor. Ani Adonai, it says, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall surely rebuke, reprove your neighbor, and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. And then it says this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. As you can see, oftentimes when we pluck that statement out, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, uh, we, we, we lose the context of what it's talking about. It seems to be saying if we're going to love our neighbor, that there has to be love in action. And this is part two of what I spoke about last week. Yeshua, love in action. We need this love that's in our heart towards God and towards our neighbor to be a love that's active. Now, the commandments we just read connect with a wide range, a wide range of human attitudes and activities. And you can read beyond this and, and uh, say from Vayikra, the book of Leviticus chapter 19, beyond verse 18, and it continues to say similar things. A wide range of attitudes and activities, and particularly in this section of Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, activities and attitudes towards one another. How many of you have had a bad day because somebody struck you wrong about something? How many of you have caused a bad day to somebody because you said something wrong to them? Most of us have experienced this uh, dramatically. Sometimes we transfer those type of feelings to the next person we meet. 
They may wonder, why are you so upset with me when you're really not even upset with them? You're upset with the person before. You're still dealing with it. And you're carrying the residue of that to the next person that you meet. How many of you have experienced that where you wonder, why is that person treating me like that? I didn't do anything wrong to that person. I didn't say anything bad to that person, and yet they seem to be unloading on you. That transferal process that happens in our activities and our attitudes, if I may use that word, towards one another, person to person, is very important. And how we treat, how we interact, and how we regard others is very important in the sight of God. And, I, and I'll, I'll suggest to you that that relational element of how we treat and our attitudes towards one another, you can see it in the, in the language of the Torah. And in the language of the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant, that constant refrain and that constant mentioning of these type of things, as if, uh, how many of you need more than one reminder sometimes about a matter? I know I do. But the language that we use towards people, the way we treat them, the way we act towards them, the way we react towards them, can be very telling. Because words like that show up in the Torah, like words like your people, words like the children of your people, words like your brother, words like your neighbor continually re recur in the Torah. And not only in the Torah, but all the way through the prophets, the writings, and all the way to the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, relational words appear. And there's an inherent connection of this section of Leviticus chapter 19, an inherent connection to relationships. Check it out on your own time and see how much, how important relationships are in the fulfilling of the idea of loving God and loving your neighbor. Very important. So it's natural, and it's a natural question to ask things like this. Well, when we're talking about relations, and we're talking about words like my people, and the children of my people, the children of your people, your sons, your daughters, your neighbor, natural questions evolve or revolve around these things. For example, when is a person part of my people? Who is my brother? How far back generationally does the term children of your people imply? Or this one, perhaps the oldest one and the one often uh, encountered and the one that Yeshua was asked directly, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You are to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a good question. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Yeshua was asked that question of you were at the men's meeting uh, last month when Roy taught about that. He did an excellent job explaining the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Bible is full, Genesis to Revelation. It's full of not only questions directed from person to person, but also from people to God. Have you ever asked God a question? Probably most of us have. At the very least, sometimes we probably asked him, why? Why did this happen, Lord? Or we may have asked him, what are you going to do next, Lord? Or questions like this, Lord, how are you going to deal with this when we're relinquishing something over to him? 
sometimes we just make a statement, this is yours, Lord. <laughs> I wash my hands of it. It's yours. And I don't think that's a bad place to come to when we can stand back and see the salvation and deliverance of God. But questions from person to person or questions from us, the people of God towards God, are very important questions. But there's another, I think, very fascinating type of question that occurs in Scripture. I simply call it the divine question. We find very quickly in Scripture that God asked mankind some questions. We can go back to Adam and Eve. I want to particularly jump forward to Cain and Abel. There are four questions at least that God asked Cain. And each time he asked these questions, Cain's response and how Cain would deal with this question could have changed the whole, the whole narrative. For example, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, and we all know that Cain slew his brother Abel. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, before Cain slew, slayed his, I don't know, the slain or whatever the word is, slew his brother Abel, God asked him some questions. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Boy, that's a good question sometimes for us, isn't it? That's a divine question. Why are you angry? And then he follows it through with another question. Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? We learn from these two questions some very important biblical principles that continue to override Scripture all the way to the book of Revelation. For example, that question, why are you angry, seems to point out that God knows what's going on inside of Cain. Do you think God still knows what's going on in the hearts of human beings? I think yes. Why are you angry, Cain? Has God changed and now he can't see inside of us? I believe he still sees inside of us. As you listen carefully, sometimes to the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, he may be asking you those same questions. Why are you behaving like that? Why are you acting like that? Why did you speak like that to that person? And in this case, uh, that's a harsher side, why are you angry? And the second one is this one, why has your countenance fallen? Why has your countenance fallen, Cain? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? That tells us something else. Not only does God know, not only did God know what was happening inside of Cain, why are you angry? He also saw what was happening outside of Cain, the reactions of Cain. Why has your countenance fallen your face? Now, some people really show everything right up here in their punam. Can you say punam? <laughs> Your face, right up here. Some people show it. Other people can be very stone-faced. And I know husbands and wife, it makes for an interesting marriage. <laughs> one, one side may show everything in their face. The other just doesn't at all. And it gets really fun when both sides show it. You know, husbands and wives, they both, everything comes forward in their facial expressions. Have you ever encountered someone and you, you, you wondered why they were going through gyrations in their face and inside they were thinking of all these other things, maybe not even related to you? And in this case, Scripture seems to want to show us, or the Lord wants to show us, not only did he know what was going on inside of Cain, but he saw how Cain was reacting. Why are you angry? 
Why has your countenance fallen? And again, I'll ask you this question. Do you think God knows what's happening inside of us? Do you think he still sees how we react? I believe he does. In fact, Scripture is very clear. There's nothing hidden from his sight. Nothing, as the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews says. Now, shortly after these first two questions to Cain, Cain slew his brother Abel. You can read about it in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 4. And then shortly after this, God asked Cain a third question. Then the, and it's in Genesis 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where? Where is Abel your brother? Some have said by asking this question, he was calling Cain to accountability. And sometimes a question like where, why, how can call a person to accountability? Where is Abel your brother? Now this third question points to another aspect of the nature of God. He knows how we interact with others. Do you think he knew had, how Cain had interacted with his brother, Abel? Yes, he did. He gave Cain an opportunity to fess up, to repent, to get it right, to express himself. That doesn't happen at all. He doesn't do that. By the way, if God places his hand on you concerning repentance, don't run away from that, run into that. Sometimes when we continually re refuse the impression of the Holy Spirit on certain areas of our life, a, a stronghold will be built up in us that will be very hard to get away from. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? By the way, he knew exactly his brother's name. <laughs> where is Abel your brother? So this third question crossed some major lines because Cain responds also in Genesis 4, verse 9. I don't know. I don't know. Was Cain telling the truth? <laughs> Maybe somewhat. He didn't know what the ultimate you know, goal or, or, or eternity would be for his brother, but he knew what he had done to his brother. I do not know. And then he asked a question back to God. Now, be careful when you ask questions back to God. Be sure you ask questions concerning his character that in line with his character, that they're not accusatory questions. Because God is blameless and he is righteous in all his ways. Please don't get into the habit of accusing God because you'll always be wrong. Or saying he's, he's, he's unrighteous, he's always righteous. He's, it's his very nature. He's always faithful. He cannot deny his very being. Cain said, Genesis 4, 9, to God's question, where is Abel your brother? Cain says, I do not know. And then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? What a statement that is. Of all the things, that one has come forward all the way through all the different cultures and societies. Wherever biblical understanding is, that question has come forward. It's been used for titles, for books. It's been used for titles, for essays. It's been used for titles, for sermons. It's been used for discussions. That idea, am I my brother's keeper? 
And God responds, by the way, with a fourth question, a fourth query. It's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. <laughs> it's really two simple Hebrew words. Genesis 4, 10. Adonai said to Cain, Me'asita. Me'asita. Let's try to say that together. Me'asita. Let's try one more time. Me'asita. What have you done? Friends, rejoice in the Lord if he holds you to accountability about things in your life. That means he's regarding you as a son or a daughter. He's granting you opportunity to step into a new walk with him if you respond according to his will. And if you've done wrong, you repent of it. You confess it. If we confess our sins, as First Yochanan chapter 1 tells us, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive our sins, and then what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has a holy work going on in the life of his people. Not only does he know what's going on inside of us, he also knows how we're reacting to things. And he knows what we are speaking and saying. Let's make sure that our words are seasoned with his grace. And they're for edification and the building up of others. Adonai said to Cain, Mesita, Mesita, what have you done? And then he says this, the voice, the cold, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. There was another conversation going on, if I could use that term. And that was the fate of Abel. God saw what had happened to Cain's brother. What have you done? Mesita is a, a question that comes forward to us all the way now. And if we respond to it honestly, it can help lead us in a deeper walk with the Lord. That when we do what's not right in the sight, that we get over it and we turn our, our face back to God and we walk before him in his righteousness. You know, friends, God knows our ways. In some ways, that's when you think about that, what a powerful thought that is. He knows our actions. He knows our, how we relate and how we treat other people. Do you think God knows? How many believe God knows how we interact with others? Even if we think we're, we're doing something behind closed doors and we're, we're uh, or maybe uh, anonymously through the computer or our phone, I believe he knows the whole Megillah. He knows it all. He knows how we treat our fellow human beings and our actions. Our actions are telling, especially when it comes again to this idea of relationships, our actions are very telling. Impacts our family, impacts our friends, impacts our community, impacts our neighbors. Those we rub elbow with, how we interact with them impacts them. By the way, how they interact with you or me also can Im impact us. The new covenant affirms over and over again. In fact, it's very redundant. Over and over again, the desirability of good relationships. In the 27 books that are in the new covenant, it's a constant theme of those books. 
For example, let me share several scriptures with you from the Berich Hadashah, from the New Covenant. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. And you'll notice I'm sharing passages of scripture that actually quote from Leviticus 19.18. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That idea permeates into the scriptures. And notice there are different authors who quote it. For example, Galatians 5, four, verse 14. For all the Torah is fulfilled, comes to its fullness, its completion, in one word. In one word. Even in this, say it with me together, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For all the Torah is fulfilled, comes to its fullness, its completion, in one word, in one statement. It's this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that very same book, Galatians chapter 6, goes on and, and gives an important lesson to us, beginning in verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. Is it possibly deceived? Yes. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Ruach, to the Spirit of God, will of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In verse 10, it's a beautiful verse. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all. Now, does that say, by the way, let us do good to all, only to those who deserve it, though? God causes his rain to shine on the just and the, uh, to come down on the just and the unjust. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And then there's this caveat, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You think your kind interactions here go unnoticed by God? No, they don't. Your expressions of, of encouragement, do you think they go unnoticed by God? They're noticed by Him. Your generosity towards others, that unnoticed by God? No, it's noticed by Him. He knows exactly what's going on. Let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. In the book of Yaakov, James chapter 2, verse 8, says it this way. It's very powerful how Yaakov states it. James 2, verse 8 if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're really doing that, here's what he says. You do well. You want to do well? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you really fulfill the royal law, you come to fullness in the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're really doing that, you're doing well. Hallelujah for that. That's encouraging. If you're really striving to love your neighbor and love God and love your neighbor, you're really striving to that. You're, you're on the right path. You're doing well. I'm so glad he doesn't say you're doing bad. You do well if you're striving to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a very good derash in Romans chapter 13 beginning with verse 8. It says, Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything except to love one another. And then Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, says this, For he who loves another 
has what? Has fulfilled the law. You brought the fullness of Torah right into your life if you love other people. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, he says, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many of the commandments are summed up in that statement? All of them. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, what does it say? Love is the fulfillment of the Torah. This kind of a love is a fulfillment, the outward expressing the, the fullness of Torah seen. And someone says they're Torah observant and they don't have a lot of love in their life, time for a recheck, huh? Someone says, oh, I love the Torah, but they're not walking in the love of God. Time to reassess. Again, as it says, if there's any other commandment, there are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, during our liturgy portion each Shabbat, and I actually appreciate all the gentlemen, the individuals come up and do the liturgy and, and take time out of their schedules to do this and prepare, prepare their hearts, and they do a wonderful job. And each time, the liturgy portion, I like to really focus in on it. Because I think what we do in the liturgy, some would say, well, you, we do it by rote. Well, if we do it by rote, you're the one making it by rote. <laughs> we do it from the heart. I hope we all try to do this from the heart. And as we repeat some of the, the statements of the liturgy, it's so important that we recognize that the commandments, the commandment to love God, ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, you shall love the Lord your God, as we repeat it here and sing it here, is intricately connected to this other commandment we've been speaking of from Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments were confirmed by Yeshua the Messiah himself, confirmed to be the greatest of them all. We are told in modern Judaism, we're told that uh, it's, the term is the taryag, there are 613 mitzvot or commandments. A certain number of them are negative commandments. Some of them are positive commandments. But they're all summed up in these two. And even whittled down to, to love your neighbor's self. Because you really can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're not loving God as you should. They're connected. It's inherently connected. Here's what happened in Matthew 22, verse 34. But the Prushim, the Pharisees, when they heard that Yeshua had silenced the Sadducees, a little bit of a one against the other thing here, they gathered together in one place. And testing Yeshua, one of them, a Torah lawyer, asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? 
Now, to our modern ears, that may seem like a strange question, but that was a commonly asked question of the great leaders of the first century, before and after the first century, in fact. It was a matter of rabbinic discussion, recorded in rabbinic writings, that question, which is the greatest of all the commandments, because as we just designated and Maimonides uh, pointed out, there were 613 commandments, so which of those 613 would be the greatest? And they asked Yeshua, it says, to test him. That means they probably had their own idea what, what, what the answer was. <laughs> Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the Torah? In verse 37 of Matthew 22 continues, And Yeshua said to him, You shall love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. He attaches the second one, the topic we're speaking of today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40, the entire Torah and the prophets hang, hang on these two commandments. All the Torah and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Which two commandments, again, to reiterate, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. All the writings hang on that, Yeshua said. And my friends here today, mishpacha, family in the spirit, we can have the theology right about all this. We may be able to even quote these commandments backwards and forwards, Hebrew, English, Spanish, whatever it is. And have it down by heart to be able to quote it. But the real issue we face in life is living these commandments out. This is the real issue we face. Living them out. Showing them forth in our daily lives. In our interactions with people that aren't so pleasant. <laughs> in our interactions with people that maybe don't think the best of us. We need to live these things out. That's a real issue for us. Yes, we can quote the theology of it. We can repeat these verses back. We can have them all memorized, and that's good. We should know the Word of God by heart. But then we have to have this transition to putting them in practice. Love in action in our life. We must have that transition. Now, notice what happens. Mark tells us a little bit what happens after Matthew 22. In Mark 12, we get the Paul Harvey rest of the story. In Mark 12, verse 32, here's what it adds to the story. So the scribe said to Yeshua, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there's no other but He. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. And then He says this, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Yeshua saw, He saw and He heard, the scribe answered wisely, Yeshua said to him, and in modern Hebrew it says it like that, Takarov meor le machut Elohim. Takarov meor le machut Elohim. You are very close. You're not far from the kingdom of God. 
when he made that statement, the first part of his statement, he reiterated the ve'ahavta and the le'reacha. Love God, love your neighbor. But then the scribe added this, to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Yeshua heard that, yeah, this one's getting it. This one's giving, getting it. He just needs to put it in practice. And it's a curious statement that Yeshua says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Yeshua appreciated the wisdom of the scribe, the spiritual insight that this particular scribe had, that to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings combined. It's beyond that. It's more than that. But Yeshua did not say to the scribe, as well as the scribe answered, Yeshua did not say to him, he didn't say, friend, you've arrived. He didn't say, friend, friend, you got it down, brother. He didn't say that at all to him. He said, you're close. You're close. Now, Yeshua knew, he, and he knows, let me put it that way, he knows to be genuine, right thinking must be shown forth in right deeds. To be genuine, right thinking must be shown forth in right actions. We can think right, but if we don't act right, there's something wrong there. Now, there's a difference between knowing what is right and doing what is right. I think you would all agree to that. There's a difference. I've met many people in street evangelism over the years in different cities of this world that pretty well knew the theology. And they could quote the scripture, but they weren't living the love of God. There's the challenge for you and me today in this ever-darkening world to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor itself and to really put this love in action. I believe Yeshua exemplified that for us. He gave us the great example. They mocked him. They spit at him. They tortured him. They beat him. He said he kept silent. You know what he says to them? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and then there's this statement, and to walk humbly with your God. He's shown you, oh man. Faith in action, love in action occurs as each member, each member of the community humbly does God's will, even above their own will. Have you ever had that challenge where you wanted to go one direction and you really felt like the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit was saying no? And you're challenged, will you obey or not? Because to obey is better than sacrifice. Now, if we make a commitment to love God and to love our neighbor, if we make that kind of commitment, I can pretty well tell you using Scripture where we'll end up. We're going to encounter at least three major things in our life. 
Three connected outcomes are going to come to us. We really make this decision passionately. I want to love God with all my heart. And I want to love my neighbors myself. Number one we come to is the cross. We're going to have to die to self. Because <laughs> there will be many times where we want to lash out. Many times where we want to lash out with our words or our actions or mistreat someone and think they deserve it. And you know what? They may. But that's not the point. God has the final say in these matters. He knows what we're, what's happening inside of us. He knows how we react. And he knows what we say. Let us live with the fear of the Lord. If we make a determination to walk in the love of God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to encounter the cross, the execution stake, the tree. We must die to ourselves so that we can live for the will of God above all. We'll encounter something else, though. It comes right after the cross. We're going to encounter resurrection life. Newness of life will come to us. We'll no longer do the ways of this world and the retaliations of the world and the, the evil words of this world. We're going to do what's right in the sight of God. We're going to experience new life within us, a new direction. Behold, God is doing a new thing in our lives. And we'll experience resurrection life, and that comes through the power, the empowerment of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to the third thing, the cross and the resurrection. By the way, the cross must always come before the resurrection. The cross, the resurrection. Then this third thing will happen. I've alluded to already ascension. We will start ascending, coming out of the depths of wrongdoings and ascending into that place of newness of life and new actions, repentant. Going forth, doing that which is pleasing to God. And all this is wrapped up in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Yeshua lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, Rob Joel said. Our former selfish attitudes and ways, they have to go. Considering others is a major component of what it means to be a believer. It's a major component to successful friendship, considering others. It's a major component to a successful marriage, considering your spouse. And to a successful family, and to a successful messianic community, considering others more important than ourselves, is a major component. Now I want to close with some excerpts from a question was asked at a forum online, uh, Got Questions, one of my favorite sites. But the question really resonates with what I was trying to share with you today and last week. The question that was posed was, who is my brother, biblically speaking? Who is my brother, biblically speaking? And I mentioned previously that that question, who is my brother, who is my neighbor, is one that has resonated throughout the centuries. And here's the response the anonymous writer gave. Who is my brother, biblically speaking? Here's the response. Quote, it is important to understand what true love is. How many agree with that? It's important to understand. We see true love in Messiah Yeshua. It's important to understand what true love is. We love people by genuinely seeking what is best for them. 
We love our neighbors when we, like the Samaritan in Jesus' parable, when we have compassion for them and help meet their needs as we are able. We're showing love for our neighbors. We love our neighbors best when we share God's truth with them. By the way, do not withhold the good news from your neighbors. As much as possible, share the word with them. You don't know how hungry their soul is. You don't know, but that God does. We love our neighbors best when we share God's truth with them. Jesus alone can save, and he alone can meet people's every need. We love our neighbors, including our neighbors who seem like enemies to us, when we act towards them with a heart that first loves God. We love our neighbors out of an overflow of God's love for us and as a way of demonstrating our love towards God. And I think that's a fitting end to this discussion here. We love our neighbors out of an overflow of God's love for us and as a way of demonstrating our love towards God. Will you please pray with me? May the Lord do inventory in our lives. Are we walking in his love? The book of Yehuda, Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Lord, thank you for your love for us. And not only for us as individuals, but for this whole world. I pray, Lord, for every person here. There have been some who have listened intently. Others spent time on their phones. Others were trying to fall asleep. Others were doing other things. Lord, you know exactly, you know exactly how we act, how we react. I pray, Lord, that you will get across your message to us, that we will be able to truly be your ambassadors of love. Thank you for sending your son, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, for the sacrifice of his life for us so that we can walk in a new way, not according to the destiny of this world, but for that which you have promised to your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each person here. I ask that you would bless each person so that we would be a blessing to others. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.